Luke chapter 9, verse 28 through 36 says, Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my Son, my Chosen One. Listen to Him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Alright, let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this Huge story. Uh, So much for us to consider um, this morning. We pray that just as we as we just think about some of it, we can't we can't take in all of it today, but as we think of just some of it, I pray that you would help us, that you would give us the assurance um, that you gave to your um, disciples, pray that you'd give that assurance to us this morning. Pray that you would convince us through your word, by your spirit, that it is worth it to trust and follow Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, I love that last verse of Amazing Grace. I love all the verses of Amazing Grace. I love that last verse, the idea of us being there 10,000 years and still praising God, still singing the praises of God as if we just are getting going. The idea that, that, that comes along with that is that when we are there for 10,000 years, um, we, are, we are going to be still incredibly happy that we decided to trust and follow Jesus. That by God's grace, we, we put our faith in Jesus Christ and we lived our lives for His Glory. The idea that 10,000 years in, we are going to have no regrets. Absolutely no regrets. We can't say that very often. I, I have a lot of regrets. Um, I, I get a lot of buyer's remorse. Do you guys get buyer's remorse? Like you buy something and like 17 minutes later, that was the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. I remember when I was a kid... Um, uh, the, the household that I grew up in, um, because it was, um, it was run by my father, the household that I grew up in, if we wanted a new video game system, um, we could wait for Christmas and hope for the best, although that didn't always work out, or we could cough up our own money. Uh, we could, because my, my dad, one video game system was just as good or better than any other video game system. He never understood the idea of an upgrade. It was all stupid to him. Um, 
He's like, you don't need, you have a basketball hoop outside. You have a baseball and two gloves. You don't need a video game system. So, so we didn't really ask him for, for money for this kind of thing. If we wanted it, uh, we had to go, uh, cough up our own money. So we would do that one time, sometimes, and, and we bought, we, this thing called a virtual boy came out. Um, stupidest investment, just so dumb. It was supposed to be virtual reality. It was, it wasn't. It was terrible. You had to put your head in it. Um, and there was, it was only in black and red. You could only, you could only play by yourself. You couldn't play with anybody else. There's only like seven games. The thing tanked. We spent, I don't know, a lot of money on it. So stupid. There have been so many times I've just bought something. I get, I get pre-buyer's remorse now. Like, I'm walking to the counter, to like the, to the cashier with like a pair of jeans or a pair of shoes, and I'm just, I just know I'm going to hate these. I don't know why right now, but I know in two weeks I'm going to regret this. Uh, you can ask my wife. So many times I just, she hates going, when I need to get something like new shoes or new jeans or something, she hates going shopping with me because I just talk myself out of anything that's there. Um, I get pre-buyer's remorse. I wonder sometimes, um, no, I don't wonder, I know, part of, the, part of the reason we struggle to go all in following Jesus um, is because we're afraid in the end it's not going to be worth it. It's a bit of a sacrifice. I mean, if you didn't listen to Pastor Colin's sermon um, last week um, because you're on vacation in the UP or something, um, something lame like that, uh, <laughs> with me, um, then uh, listen to it and think through what it means uh, to deny ourselves and follow Jesus, to put our, our sin to death and follow Jesus. To, to follow Jesus, to, to obey His words. What it looks like in our lives to make that a priority. We, um, we struggle with that, and, and part of the reason is we're trying to always sort out whether it's worth it or not. Am I, gonna, am I going to, in the years to come, am I going to look back and say, well, that was stupid? That was a waste of my time. I was kind to that person. I was, I, was, I, was, I was sacrificial. I was generous. I spoke the truth. I held on to the truth when no one else did. I, I went all in on being faithful to Jesus. And that was stupid. If, um, this is going to be a long sermon. I, I, I took this part out, and then I'm just going to put it back in. Because I, I, I've read through the sermon like three times, and it's long either way. So... So if you're a, if you're a, um, if you're a 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 year old, I want you to listen to me. I want you to, I want you to think with me for a minute, and then you can go back to doing whatever you're doing after this. Just think with me for a minute. Um, you're, you're, you're in this part of your life where you're gonna start going down a path. Like, you're gonna start making your own decisions about what you think about the Word of God and what you think about Jesus and whether or not it's worth it to follow Him. And so, so I've seen this... I mean, I've seen people go the other way too. I've seen people go all in on Jesus and it's a beautiful, glorious thing. It, like, I, I, I cry thinking about it. I was, I was crying listening to some of the voices 
that were singing, because I could hear the voices that were singing when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. And I know what they've gone through, and I know, I know what they've stuck with Jesus through knowing that He is better than anything else. I know what they've gone through. I know what it's cost them to go all in on Jesus. And it's a beautiful thing, but then I've also seen far too many times um, that person who sort of grew up in church um, just care less and less and less and less about the Bible, about church itself, about Jesus Himself, and then they kind of just they, they they kind of build their life as if Jesus and the Word doesn't even exist. They 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 build really close friendships with people who could care less about Jesus. They're they're incredibly influenced by people who don't love Jesus at all. And 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 sooner sooner or later you you would you would meet that person if you never met them before and you just got to know them you hung out with them hung out with them for a week you wouldn't even know that they that they love Jesus they they've just kind of not not that they've made this big public statement I don't like Jesus anymore they've just they've just drifted way 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 far away and it's because in small incremental ways they've just kind of become convinced that it's not worth it. That, that, that if they do go all in on church, and there's a lot of weird stuff that goes all in with going, all, with, 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 with being all in on church. There's, there's so much like, there's so much baggage with that. You've got so much extra rules and you got these ways you gotta do things and there's just a lot of commitments and it's just like, I don't really feel like it's worth it. So they, so they, they don't, they don't make some big public statement. I don't, you know, love Jesus anymore. It's just they kind of wander away. They just along the way they become convinced that it's not worth it. I don't want that to happen to any 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 year old in here. And I don't want that to happen to any 60 year old either. I want us to hang on till the end. I want us to be convinced following Jesus is worth it. That in the end, we will have no regrets. We can't say that about very many things. Jesus is going to try to convince us here through His Word that if we stick with Him to the end, we will have no regrets. He gives us three reasons here. There are three reasons in these verses why in the end... We trust and follow Jesus. Three reasons why we'll have no regrets. Let's think about these three reasons this morning. Three reasons why we'll have no regrets. Number one, His glory will one day be obvious. His glory will one day be obvious. We know right now that the way Jesus is just mocked and the way, the way there's just so much comedy about Jesus. There's just so much slander about Jesus. There's so much flippancy about Jesus. Like, Jesus is a bit of a joke right now to a lot of people. One day, that's all gonna be over. And the disciples here get just a small taste of that on this mountain. So, verse 28, now about eight days after these sayings. Wait, what sayings? Verse 27. Verse 27. But I tell you truly that there are some standing here who will not taste 
death until they see the kingdom of God. What is Jesus saying? He's saying there are people who are here with me right now who are going to see in some way the fullness, the glory of the kingdom of God. And then, eight days later after these sayings, He took with Him Peter and John and James, verse 28, and went up on the mountain to pray. And as He was praying, something crazy happens. The appearance of His face was altered and His clothes became dazzling white. This is one of the weirdest things that happens in the life of Jesus in the Gospels. This is one of the most bizarre, I wish I could have been there kind of things that happens. His, 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 the appearance of His face is altered and His clothing becomes dazzling white. What people see there, the, the, the guys who are on the mountain with Jesus, what they see is just for a moment, they see what it's going to look like for the, for the fullness of the glory of the kingdom of God to spread over the whole earth. They, they get just a moment of what Jesus is going to look like when He comes back to rule and reign forever. They get just a sense of how glorious and, wo- and, and worthy and wonderful He is. There's a day coming when the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And there, there will be, Revelation says, there will be no sun. There will be no sun because the lamp of God's glory will be the Lamb. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is the fullness of the glory of God, and one day that will be blazingly obvious to everyone everywhere. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ will be blazingly obvious to everyone everywhere. And this isn't like reflected glory. Like the moon sort of reflects the sun, right? The sun, the moon doesn't have any light from within itself. The moon doesn't generate any light. Nothing comes out of the moon. The, the moon just reflects the sun's light. And that's kind of like Moses in the Old Testament. Moses shone, his face shone with the glory of God. But that wasn't glory that was coming from, from, from within him, coming out. It was, it was a reflected glory. It was bouncing off him and it was, it was radiating off him from God himself. What we have here is we have Jesus shining with glory the way the sun does. It comes from within Him. Jesus Himself is glorious. He's not a reflection. He Himself is glorious. And what, what we see here in these just a couple of verses really quick, and we wish we had more, what we see here is that, is that one day, is that one day, we're going to get to a, another passage in the in the end of the sermon, if we get to the end of the sermon, which is, we have a good shot. And if we get to the end of the sermon, we're going to get to another passage where Peter is talking about the, the, the glory, the coming and the glory of Jesus when He comes again. And Peter is going to tie this, what he sees here, to that. He's going to say, I know Jesus is going to come again in glory and power because I just, I saw a moment of it. I saw what the glory and power of Jesus looks like. I saw what He's going to look like someday. I saw it for just a moment. And in that, in that moment, when the, when the earth is filled with the glory of God, we're, we're going to see Jesus is worthy. I promise you, 12, 13, 14, 15, 70 year old, I promise you that you are looking for someone who is worthy of your worship. You're looking for something to invest everything that you are in. We want that. It's going to be blazingly obvious to everyone everywhere one day that Jesus is the only worthy one. 
Colossians teaches us that all things were made by Him, all things were made through Him, and all things were made for Him. For His honor and for His glory. He, Hebrews says, upholds the universe by the word of His power. He is the glory of God. He alone is worthy. And one day we're going to see just how glorious He is. And in that moment, we're going to know Our faith is going to be sight. And all the things that we've believed because the Holy Spirit has opened up our minds and our hearts to understand and believe the Word of God, all the things that we, we have, we have, we have believed by faith, we are going to know by sight that any, anything we suffered for the glory of Jesus, for the honor of Jesus, any, any little bit of pain or suffering or self-denial that was endured for His sake, worth it. No regrets. Jesus is the one person that the more you scrutinize Him, the more you investigate Him, the more you put Him under a microscope, the more you look for flaws, the more beautiful and wonderful and glorious and, and worthy of your devotion He is. Jesus is, is, is in His grace giving His disciples some assurance. He knows they're going to be pressed over the next few months in ways they can't even imagine yet. He's going to give them assurance. And He's giving us assurance here as well. You trust Jesus. You follow Him. In the end, you'll have no regrets. Because one day, His glory will be obvious. That's number one. Number two, His saving work will one day be made known. His saving work will one day be made known. So, so, verse 28 again, now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. So he's transfigured there. They, they start to see the glory of the, of the coming Christ. His, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him. Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Alright, so first it's just the disciples up there, and then Moses and Elijah are there. And they are in some way reflecting the glory of God. And so, I mean, if you're going to put together a top five of of Old Testament characters, uh, Moses and Elijah would have to be in there. Moses and Elijah were, 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 were venerated by the first century Jews. They were honored by the first century Jews. Moses and Elijah were legends. Moses was seen as, the, as the, the, the founding father of the people of Israel. Elijah was the one that when they thought about the Messiah coming, they thought about, they thought about Elijah. Elijah was going to be instrumental in bringing the Messiah about. Moses was, Moses was literally buried by God Himself. When Moses, when Moses died, God Himself buried Moses. And then Elijah never even died. Elijah was taken up to heaven by a chariot. If Jesus would have been any other first century Jewish man, He would have been asking Moses and Elijah questions. He would have been talking to them about their lives. What was it like? What was it like, Moses? What was the Red Sea like? What was that like? Elijah, tell me about the fire coming down at Mount Carmel. But Jesus isn't talking to these heroes about their lives. They're talking with Jesus about His life. 
Actually, they're talking with Jesus about his death. Verse verse 31, this is an interesting, weird wording here. Who appeared in glory. Moses and Elijah appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Jesus has been talking about his death at Jerusalem, right? He's already talked about it a little bit. He's going to talk about it a little bit more when we get down the mountain next week. Um, Jesus has been talking about his, his death at Jerusalem. Jesus is headed for Jerusalem so that he can die and on the third day be raised. Jesus has been talking about it, but now Moses and Elijah are talking with Jesus about his death. We don't usually think of someone dying as a great accomplishment, but that's what they call it here. They spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Well, what's that guy famous for? He died. Oh, that's cool. That's neat. It's a weird thing to accomplish. Jesus, though, is different because his death was an incredible accomplishment. In fact, his death is the greatest accomplishment ever. What Jesus did through his death is the greatest achievement ever. Which is why Luke calls it his exodus. In verse 31, when it says, spoke of his departure, that that word there is really the word exodus. And, that, and, and I'm not sure why the ESV didn't translate it Exodus, but they, they chose not to. The translators chose not to, but that is the word. The word is Exodus. And Luke is tying, he is directly tying Jesus' death to the Exodus of the Old Testament. The Exodus is, is the story where, where God, in His mighty power, delivers His people. He rescues His people from bondage in Egypt through His, through his mighty grace, His mighty mercy. He, he, he delivers His people from Egypt. Luke is saying here, that exodus in the Old Testament is just a picture of what Jesus is going to accomplish for His people through His death. His death is our exodus. It is our deliverance. His death pays for our sin. I hope you've believed this. Please listen carefully and please Think within your own heart and your own mind if you personally have believed this, if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, because the, the truth is here, we deserve hell for our sin. We need forgiveness for our sin. And Jesus' great accomplishment was that He died so that we could be forgiven. His death paid for our sin. His his death loosed us from bondage just the way that the the people of Israel in the Old Testament were, were loosed from bondage. They were delivered. We are delivered from our sin. From the punishment we deserve. That's what Jesus achieved on the cross. There has never been a greater accomplishment. And if you think about it, there's never really been greater humility than what Jesus showed on the cross. There's so much whiplash in this passage. There's so much. Because um, you, you, at, f- at first you're thinking about the glory of Jesus Christ. And we can't even, 
We can't even fathom it. The idea that Jesus is going to, His, his glory and His great worthiness, and, and He's going to shine brighter than the sun. We won't need the sun because the lamp of the Lamb of God, the glory of God is going to cover the earth. We can't even imagine that much glory, that much might, that much power just filling the earth. So we think about all of that, just what Jesus is worth. What kind of praise and honor and love He deserves. And then you, you get so much whiplash because then He says, I'm going to go. I'm going to be delivered up. I'm going to willingly go. I'm going to be cursed. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be spit on and crucified and murdered. Jesus says, I'm not staying on this mountain in this glory. I am going down the mountain so that I can die for my people for sins that you and I have committed. We don't really get a sense of how bad our sins are until we just get this small glimpse of the glory of Christ. Um, We tend to think of our sins as small. If I went over to Staples, which the more I thought about this, the more I thought, I'm going to do this. Um, If I went over to Staples and I opened up a... a, um, little package of post-it notes that was there, you know, just for sale. Post-it notes. Went over, opened up the post-it notes. Then I went over and grabbed a Sharpie off the Sharpie counter or whatever. I don't know. So yeah, I grabbed a Sharpie. Just a, just a fine tip one, you know. And I went over and I opened up the post-it notes and I just drew a little smiley face on the post-it note. Then I just put it back on the post-it note shelf display. Put the Sharpie back. I mean, that's a $5 crime, right? If someone caught me doing that, they probably wouldn't throw me in jail. They probably would look at me weird. Uh, you, need, you need to get your you know, life together, buddy. But that's a, that's, a, that's a five buck crime, right? That's what that is. Now imagine that I grab that Sharpie and I, and I draw that smiley face instead of on a post-it note at Staples if I, if I decide to draw it on the Mona Lisa. We're no longer a five-buck crime. It's the same thing. It's just against something that's far more valuable. I looked up the Mona Lisa for um, this sermon. I googled, you know, what is the Mona Lisa worth? Smart people, who I think maybe are idiots, um, say that the... that the Because you know how some smart people are actually idiots? I think maybe these ones are... Um, Smart people say the Mona Lisa is worth over $850 million. So if you want that, you've got to save your pennies. I looked at the Mona Lisa for like maybe 30, 45 seconds. I could not figure out why it's worth $850 million. Um, I, the, I, 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 said, I Googled, you know, what is the Mona Lisa worth? I got the $850 million. And then there's this other question that came up after, because I think people are asking the same question I'm asking. Why is it worth so much? So I, I Googled that. I went to some article. I read a paragraph, and I was not convinced. I was like, no, nope. That, none of that spelled out $850 million to me. It was like, you know, Leonardo da Vinci like, drew her smile in such a way that it like, resonates with people in her eyes. I was like, that's stupid. That's not $850 million. My daughter, Maribeth, drew me a picture of 17th century theologian John Owen holding a Dunkin' Donuts cup for Father's Day. (laughs) That's art. (laughs) I get way more enjoyment out of that than I do looking at the Mona Lisa. I just like, I don't get that. John Owen, who 
wrote, you know, Mortification of Sin, The Glory of Christ, um, Fantastic Life, just read a biography of him holding Dunkin' Donuts cup. I mean, I can get behind that, but don't understand Mona Lisa. But it does give us an idea, though, to think about how much trouble I would, I would be in if I just took a small Sharpie and just drew a little, little smiley face on Mona Lisa. Just, just touch it up a little bit. Just add a little character. I would be in huge trouble. It's the same crime. It's just against a different subject. What we have to understand is that all, we don't, there are no five dollar sins. Because they're all against the glorious Christ. You understand? They're all, you know, that's not a little bit of lust, a little bit of gossip, a little lie. No! That's not how it works. Because it's a stain against the glorious Christ. It's an, it's an assault against the glorious Christ. Because He is valuable. Our sins are horrific, horrific and horrifying and awful. You understand? There are no five dollar crimes. That gives us a sense When we think about the glory of Christ, it gives us a sense of His humility and His incredible love for us. That He would walk down that mountain, set His face toward Jerusalem, so that He could endure unimaginable pain. And I don't mean the physical pain, that was awful, but the pain of of being cursed by His Father for our sins. That is going to that is going to come home to us one day when we see his glory and when we are no longer seeing his glory with our own sinfulness and our own selfishness and our own mixed bag of a of emotions and motives when we have our glorified body and we have our glorified mind and we have our glorified eyes. We're going to see the glory of Christ. We're going to see the Gospel better than we've ever seen it. And we're going to have no regrets trusting and following Him. And then number three. So, so first couple reasons. Number one, His glory will one day be obvious. The second reason why we're going to have no regrets. Number two, His saving work will one day be made known. And then number three, His followers' faith will one day shine brighter than gold. Number three, his followers' faith will one day shine brighter than gold. So what we're going to do for this point is we're going to look at what Peter says here and what God says to Peter, but then we're going to look at a couple other things Peter says later once it starts to, once it starts to click with him. Peter says a couple of other things we've got to look at real quickly. And by real quickly, I mean as slow as I go. Alright? Verse 32, Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. This has happened a lot when Jesus was praying. They got sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said. Peter was just talking, um, kind of overcome with, with everything that was happening and just throwing out ideas. He's a verbal processor. It's fine, um, but he needs to shut up now. Verse 34, as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. This is God's way of saying, I'm, I'm going to talk. You, you stop. 
And they were afraid as they entered the cloud, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my Son, my Chosen One. Listen to Him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And we were, the, the, the sense is building throughout this story that Moses and Elijah are, are bit players. They're, they're, they're role players. They are, they are there for the glory of Christ. In fact, that's what they were there for in the Old Testament. They were there to, to pave the way for Jesus, to point towards Jesus. Now they're gone and He is alone and the Father has said, this is My Son. This is My Chosen One. He is the One. He is the King. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is My Beloved. Listen to Him. One of the things I was interested in is how did Peter and John and James, how did they know that this was Moses and Elijah? The, 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 the text doesn't say how they knew that. I had this joke about Moses looking like Charlton Heston, but I don't think that's, I mean, no one, you're all too young for that joke. But anyhow, um, decided not to do it. Oh, because only old people would laugh and then they'd feel bad for being old. So I'm not going to do it. Uh, but it could be Moses looked like Charlton Heston. I don't know how, the scripture doesn't say how they knew, but they knew somehow that it was Moses and Elijah. So Peter just starts talking. And God says, no, be done. Be done. You need to, you need to listen to my son. Now, this is an incredibly good word for Peter, and it's a good word for us. What God is saying to Peter is, no, Peter, no, 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 no. Now is not the time to try to hang on to this glorious mountaintop experience. Now is not the time to bask in the glory of Jesus. That's, I mean, that time is coming. It's going to come, but this is not the time for that now. What it is now, the time now is for you to obey the words of Jesus. And, and it, you know, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of correlation for, for us, for you and me, because it's, it's a lot like what Peter and James and John were about to go through. We, many, many people just don't see the glory of Christ. If you belong to Jesus, then you have seen it. The Second Corinthians says that, that God has shined into your heart His glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Like, like we, have, we haven't physically seen the glory of Jesus, but we've seen it in the Scriptures. We, we, we understand in, in an increasing way just how worthy Jesus is. How glorious Jesus is. But we live in a world where there is no blazing light. There is no, there is no blazingly obvious glory of Jesus Christ. The, the, the morning star hasn't risen. The, the day hasn't dawned. So we are following Jesus in a little bit of obscurity here, in a little bit of humility, in a little bit of patience, praying that other people will, by the grace of God, they will also see the glory of God and the Word of God. We're, we're, we're praying for that. We're praying for people to understand and believe the Gospel and to, and to go all in on following Jesus. But we know it's not just blazingly obvious to, to everyone yet. 
So, so Peter is struggling here in Luke 9. And, he, and you're going to see next week, he still continues to struggle on what it means to follow Jesus. But by the time he writes 2 Peter, he gets it. Let me, let me read some stuff to you from 2 Peter chapter 1. It says, verse 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Okay, so what Peter is saying is, he's, he's, telling, he's telling his readers in 2 Peter Jesus is going to come back. He's going to come back in power. He's going to come back in majesty. It's going to happen. This is not a myth. This is not something we cleverly devised. This is going to happen. And we know it's going to happen because we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. We saw a very brief preview of this. We know it's coming. Verse 17, for, for when He received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, this is My beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with Him on the holy mountain. So Peter says, Peter says, when I'm telling you about the second coming, you can believe it because I saw just a brief little snapshot of it on that holy mountain. But then he says in verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. So what, what Peter is saying, he's saying the same thing to us that God said to him. He is saying, listen to him. You have the Word. You have something better than what we had on the mountain. You have the Word of God. You have Jesus' authority right here. Listen to Him. You will do well to pay attention. And then he says, it's like a, it's like a lamp. A lamp. I don't know why I said it like that. A lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Like, Peter's saying, yeah, I know what it's like to live in a dark place. I get it. I, I wish the glory of God had filled the, filled the earth. I wish we could see it everywhere. Yeah, I get it. Yes, I get it. But you don't need it right now because you have, you have the lamp. Pay attention to this. You have the lamp. One day, it's going to be awesome, the lamp who is the lamp of God, the lamp of the glory of God, is going to be here. And He's going to shine brighter than day. The morning star is going to rise. It's going to be amazing. But, but Peter says, until then, listen to Him. You have His Word. You have something more, more confirmed than what we even had on the mountain. Listen to Him. Pay attention to, to it as a, as a lamp shining in a dark place. You pay attention to, the, to this lamp until the lamp comes back. And it's not dark anymore. And Peter says, I promise you it'll be worth it. I promise you it'll be worth it. And I, and I have to imagine that Peter had that mountaintop experience in mind when he wrote 1 Peter chapter 1. 
He talks about the gospel, that the, 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 the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again to, to this living hope, to this, to this inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And then he says, then he says this. He, he says, I know it's a dark place. I know it's a dark place. I know that because the glory of God has not fully been revealed in the face of Jesus Christ, I know, I know that because we still live in a world that's, that's cursed by sin, I know, he says in verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. I know. You're going to be grieved by various trials. But then he says, and I, I am almost done. Just hang with me. Just We're almost done. Then he says, verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Alright, so I want you to think about this for a second. Here's what Peter is saying. Maybe if I take a drink, I won't do that weird thing with my lips, that thing, I hope. I'll take another drink just in case. Here's what, here's what Peter is saying. He is saying that a day is coming when Jesus Christ is going to be revealed. That's what he says in, in, in verse 7 of 1 Peter 1. The, the revelation of Jesus Christ. There is going to be a day when Jesus Christ is revealed and then everybody everywhere, whether they bought into it earlier or not, everybody everywhere is going to see the glory of Jesus. And every knee is going to bow, whether they wanted to or not. Everybody is going to know that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's, it's going to happen. Jesus Christ is going to be revealed. Everybody is going to see what we saw for just 15 seconds on the mountain. Everybody everywhere is going to see it, and it's going to be, it's going to be blazingly obvious for all of eternity. So Peter's saying, that's coming. And then he says, here's, here's what else is going to be revealed. When Jesus Christ is revealed, something else is going to be revealed as well. The, the genuineness of your faith. So not only is the mask going to be torn off Jesus, the mask is going to be torn off you as well. I look at you today, you're not that impressive looking. Let that sink in. Be encouraged. You're welcome. You say, I can say the same thing for you, buddy. I'm sure you probably have already. Uh, the, the genuineness of our faith doesn't get us a whole lot in this world. It's not, it's not a very powerful currency. It doesn't seem to be worth all that much. Faith in Jesus. We spend a lot, but it doesn't seem like we get a lot. And, 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 and we, we spend a lot, we invest a lot, we obey a lot, and we're, we're, we're investing in a king who is mostly hidden. The, 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 the worthwhileness of what we're doing is not readily apparent to most people. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to most people. Our faith isn't really worth much 
to most people because the object of our faith is not worth much to most people. Peter is saying, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, all of that is going to change. It is going to be obvious to everyone everywhere that it was worth it. Your faith, it's more precious than gold. It's going to be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is going to shine in all of His glory, and then there is some real way in which we are going to shine. Our faith is going to shine as well. And what will that look like? I, I don't know what that's going to look like. I've thought about that. What is it going to look like for Jesus to be revealed as the lamp of the glory of God that covers the earth? And then, and then what will it look like for us in our own way, to, in our, our faith in Him? Because, because when He is revealed as worthy of all, of, of, any, of any kind of devotion we could give Him, then in that moment, our faith is going to be revealed as something more precious than gold. Something that reflects the honor and glory of Jesus in some real way. What is that going to look like? We don't, we don't know for sure. But what we do know is that when Jesus is revealed and when we fully see His glory, in that moment, we will be 100% sure that all of our faith in Him, all of the times that we denied ourselves and followed Him, that we put our sin to death and we obeyed His Word. All the, all the ways that we trusted and followed Jesus, all of them were worth it. And we will be sure in that moment we have no regrets. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your Word. And we thank You for this um, story. And again, we're just, we're just barely... Barely scratching the surface of this, God. We thank you that uh, you decided to reveal to Peter and John and James um, the glory of Jesus. And, and we thank you that, that you, you used that to give them assurance. And we, we thank you that they have by Your Spirit, recorded all of the truth that we need. When we have Your Word, we have all the truth that we need. We don't need these mountaintop experiences. We, we can see the glory of Christ in the pages of Scripture. We thank You for that. And we thank You that one day our faith will be sight we will, we will sing all glory be to Christ. And we won't have any nagging doubts, any nagging fears, any nagging questions about whether or not it was worth it. We thank You that, that one day we will be fully and finally convinced there are no regrets. Until then, God, I pray that You would help us to grow more and more courageous more and more willing to to sacrifice for the glory of Christ, more and more willing to believe His promises, to obey His commands. All of this, all of this is by Your grace. All of this is for Your glory. 
please do this in us. Through your spirit, through your word, we'll thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen.